0: message of hope and good news
1: for you. We are going to talk today about hell. That is an interesting topic, Len. Sounds a bit like a hell of a topic. (laughs) Okay, let's see what we've got today. Hello, dear listeners. I'm happy to be with you today to share with you a message of hope and good news from God's Word, the Bible. We live in an interesting time of Earth's history with many momentous events events and widespread information going on around us all the time. On the information scene, now with computers and internet, we have a world of information at our fingertips. But the trouble is, not all that information is correct. Much of it is biased. So there is need for a lot of discretion in choosing the right information. Do you agree? it is always wise to refer to the primary sources of information. As far as things to do with spirituality and beliefs are concerned, it is best to base our beliefs on the Bible. Basing our beliefs on what a pastor or a priest says may lead us to wrong conclusions. The Bible is the safest means of establishing a belief system that is true and correct. The Bible is the primary source. Have you ever played the party game known as Chinese Whisper? It goes like this. Person number one whispers a short sentence in person number two's ear. And then it goes from one to the next each person repeating what they think they heard to the following person. The last person to hear the message is asked to tell the whole group what they heard. On most occasions, the end message is hilariously different from the beginning one. The same goes for news and gossip passed on from one to another. The story changes so that What eventually comes out at the end is quite different from the original story. If you want to know the truth, you need to hear the story from where it began, the primary source. There are some people who base their faith, that is, their religious belief, on tradition. Stories or concepts that have been passed down through time from one to another. As far as I'm concerned, it is very unsafe practice to base our faith on tradition. A tradition becomes established when somewhere along the line someone introduces a story or religious practice into the Code of Beliefs and this ultimately receives sacred status. It is something like a poem I once read where a calf wandered through a large paddock. Some sheep later followed where the calf had knocked down the grass. As time went on, other animals followed that path until it became a well-defined track. Later, the paddock was sold for urban development. And guess what? Where the calf had once wandered through the grass became a major roadway. That's how tradition becomes established. Jesus spoke sternly to the religious leaders in his day about following tradition rather than God's word. It is recorded in Mark chapter 7 and verse 6. He said, These people honour me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. They worship me in vain. Their teachings are but rules taught by men you have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to the traditions of men. Here's an illustration of tradition. Now, I've made this up. Let's say a particular church or religious group decided that people can be forgiven their sins if they drink a cup of water that comes from a a spring flowing out from under a rock, which is shaped a, a bit like a cross. The church group takes control of the spring, then gives or sells the water to people. The people are told that the water has miraculous powers to forgive sins, and they drink it, believing what they've been told. And so the story of the forgiveness water gains acceptability, and a practice is established. After a few more generations, the tradition becomes firmly established, and it becomes part of the religious code of that church or group. And so the church or group gets rich by selling the spring water, and a doctrine of the forgiveness water becomes part of their creed. Ah, what a load of baloney, you might say. But is it baloney? That is exactly what has happened in the past, and it still happens. Tradition? in my opinion, is almost the same as superstition. It is like believing a wish will come true when you see a falling star, that is, a meteorite. Tradition is not safe. When there is no primary source of information, we leave ourselves open to believe anything. That's why this series of talks is called Give Me the Bible, where you hear what the Bible says and where you are encouraged to go to the Bible and see for yourself. Don't believe anything just because someone said it. Check for yourself. With all what I've already mentioned in mind, I would like us to try to more fully understand about hell. The concept many people have of hell is that it is a place of somewhere in a mysterious underworld where bad people go when they die and where they are punished for their sins by being continually roasted and burned by fire with the devil, that is Satan, gleefully supervising the process. All this continual torture is supposed to take place with God's approval. Please note, Apparently these poor souls who are supposed to be in agony were judged at the point of their deaths and were sentenced to eternal torture. But we must ask by whom were they judged? This is a question for the future because I won't go into it now. The belief of hell, as I've just described, has come from tradition. It is not what the primary source The Bible teaches. So then, let us look at what the Bible really teaches. Firstly, the popular doctrine of hell teaches that when someone dies, they immediately return to life again, in another form, in another place. But in contrast to that popular idea, the Bible teaches, and I refer now to Ecclesiastes 9, verse 5, which says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. That is put in another way in Psalms 115 verse 17, which says it is not the dead who praise the Lord, those who go down to silence. So the Bible says that whether a person is considered good or bad, when they die, they have no consciousness. They know nothing. I've been to funerals, where ministers claim that the dear departed one has gone to heaven. Interestingly, in just about every case, even the worst ones have been said to have gone to heaven. That is, of course, utter presumption and is not a teaching from the Bible. The Bible teaches that the dead rest in their graves until the coming of Jesus. We'll deal more about that later, too. I suppose it is a comforting thought for the dead person's relatives to think that their dead loved one has gone to heaven. Gone to God, I heard one person say. But is it a comfort? Imagine a man, supposedly gone to God, looking down to see how his family is doing. He sees his wife suffering from cancer. He sees his daughter in an abusive relationship. He sees his oldest son hooked on drugs. He sees another son in prison. Some comfort, don't you think? No, when someone dies, they have no consciousness. It is like a sleep, as Jesus described in John chapter 11. Back to the hell question. In Romans 6 verse 23, we are told the wages of sin is death not being roasted forever in a fire that does not quite kill, God has no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Hear what he says. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. That's founded in Ezekiel 33.11. So where does this idea of eternal punishment come from.
0: You're listening to Give Me the Bible, and we are talking
1: about hell today. Um, just before we go into a short break, I would like to invite you to uh, get in touch with us if you like to learn more about hell. We'll be more than happy to provide you with some uh, books or DVDs. I've got a nice DVD entitled Beyond Hell. If you like to uh, know more,
0: please don't uh, hesitate to contact us. And uh, the numbers will be given during these programs where you can contact us. Stay with us. We are taking a short break
1: and we'll be back in a minute. <laughs> Welcome back. Before the break, I ask this question. Where does the idea of eternal punishment come from? Well, there's a little bit from the Bible, and the rest is man-made ideas, that is, tradition. The Bible does teach that the earth will be destroyed by fire. 2 Peter 3, verse 7 and 10 says this, By the same word, that's God's word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. To add a little to the above, Revelation 20 verse 10 says, And the devil, who deceived them, was thrown into the lake of burning sulphur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. So it is true that God will use fire to utterly destroy wicked people, along with Satan, the devil that is, and his agencies. It will be used to completely cleanse the earth from evil before God makes all things new. As Noah's flood was a worldwide event, so will be the fiery destruction of the earth. That fire at the end of the world is hell, not some semi-fire in some mysterious underworld place where the wicked people go and they are not quite Burnt. In the book of Malachi, it tells us that the destruction of the wicked will be complete. Chapter 4 and verse 1 says, Surely the day is coming, it will burn like a furnace. All the arrogant and every evildoer will be stubble, and that day that is coming will set them on fire, says the Lord Almighty. Not a root or a branch will be left to them. Note that, nothing will be left. So let's isolate what these few verses I've mentioned teach. There will be tremendous fire. The fire is from God. It is to destroy all wicked beings and wickedness. Satan, the devil, will be a victim of, rather than being in charge of the fire, It will be at that day at the end. Whoever is burnt by the fire is completely and utterly consumed. Nothing will be left." Now that's quite a different picture of hell than what tradition teaches. There are some things about this subject that may be unclear to you and need clarification. The statement in Revelation 20 in verse 10, which I've already quoted, in telling about the destruction of the devil and his evil associates, finishes off with this sentence. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. There you are, some people might say. That says they will be punished forever. But wait a minute or two. Let's compare and check with other Bible passages to make sure we're not jumping to wrong conclusions. The expression for ever and ever is the same as eternal. That is, it means without ending. But it also means for as long as it lasts or until it is finished. To illustrate that in the book of Jude there is quite a lot to say about the sin and doom of godless, wicked people. It also speaks about the rebel angels who followed Satan and about their destruction. In verse 7 we read, In a similar way Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of, note this, eternal fire. Is Sodom and Gomorrah still on fire? Of course not. The fire has gone out. But while it lasted, it was ferocious, and no one could stop it. The fire lasted as long as there was something to burn. In that case... We could say it was eternal. We have other examples of the eternal or ever and ever meaning for as long as it lasts, in Jonah chapter two verse six, and in Jeremiah seventeen verse twenty seven, and in Second Chronicles thirty six nineteen to twenty one. There are two other issues we must explore on this subject. One is about unquenchable fire and the other about everlasting destruction. What does unquenchable mean? It means it cannot be put out. It is such a ferocious fire that the best firefighters in the world would not be able to put it out. But it does not mean that it won't die out. In Jeremiah 17 and verse 27, the Bible speaks about Jerusalem being burnt. The text says, But if you do not obey me and keep my Sabbath day holy by not carrying any load as you come through the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then I will kindle an unquenchable fire in the gates of Jerusalem that will consume all her fortresses. Now, history tells us that Jerusalem was sacked at least twice. The last time being in AD 70, when the Romans set fire to the city. It was a tremendous fire, but is that fire still burning? Of course not. But at the time when it was raging, it was impossible to control. It was unquenchable. But it did go out when everything that could burn, did burn. The the other issue we need to look at is the issue of everlasting destruction. Ask yourself, what does that mean? Does it mean that the destruction will never stop? Or does it mean the destruction is complete and will always remain in place? 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 verses 8 and 9 says God will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Everlasting destruction means that the destruction is complete and its effects will remain permanently the wicked will not ever appear again. Their destruction is utter, final and complete. The destruction will remain in place forever and ever. We read earlier from the book of Malachi how after their punishment, there will be nothing left, not even a trace of the wicked. The earth and the whole universe will be cleansed and after that, God will make all things new. Come to think of it, who would want to have eternal life, that is life without end, with the stench of sin remaining and with all its problems? God intended that mankind should live without sin. 1 Corinthians 15 verse 26 says, The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And that is because the devil, sin, and sinners will be gone also. So the beliefs about hell, based on tradition, are mostly wrong. Hell doesn't actually exist yet. It is reserved for a later time, when God will bring down his judgment. The righteous will be given eternal life, and the unrighteous will have eternal death. So don't fear of going to hell. Rather, we should fear the one, that is God, who will destroy those who are wicked, those who will experience hell for a short time as the earth is cleansed of all wickedness, including the one who is the originator of evil, Satan. Now, I want to ask you something. Let's say someone lived a sinful life, And he died at the age of, we'll say, 52. Would it be fair for God to make that person suffer punishment in agony in a burning fire for thousands and thousands of years for a mere 52 years of sinfulness? A God who would do that would be nothing more than a tyrannical sadist. Would you serve a God who dished out such terrible punishments for so long time? The punishment just doesn't fit the crime. And that is where the traditional idea of hell is so wrong. God is a God of justice, goodness and mercy. Sure, people will have to pay for their sins, but not like that. Their punishment will be swift and complete. Friends, that's it for another day. If you are praying for someone who you think has been sent to hell, you're wasting your time. They haven't gone anywhere yet except to the grave. We'll deal with this subject. It is about death next week. So this is Len signing off. In the meantime, I wish you peace and happiness and, of course, God's blessings.
0: Amen.